another episode of... Thank you, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm fucking with you this early, sorry. I'm pretty sure I did it to you once. Also, um, I'm pretty sure it's lore at this point. Yeah. To uh, yet another episode of What Is My Podcast About? I am your host today, Matthew Grace. And as always, I am joined by... Whoa, 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 whoa. We gotta stop right there. What is this podcast even about, Matt? Okay, fine. It's about <laughs> anything that we can think of, really... Until we actually come up with a topic that we want to talk about. And how often do we record said podcast, Once Matthew? Once every two weeks. <laughs> That's good, because I was going to be very lost if Matt didn't specify that. Yeah. Yes, I'm joined by Keith. <laughs> Which one is that? You. Okay, thank you. And, <laughs> and Peter, the laughing one. Oh, my process of elimination, that must be me. Man, we're really just fucking with the intros super hard at this point. God. I, I blame you, Peter, because you started and I had to continue. I know, I, it's uh, 100% my fault, but I'm okay with it. This is going to be a time. This is going to be a time. So, how have you guys been? Clearly, I've been great. <laughs> it feels like it's been ages. Definitely Even though it's been two weeks. Been. <laughs> we're just trying to get as far as we can from that pony episode. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm gonna put some distance between us. I want as many uploads after it as possible. I forgot that's what we did. Uh, though I will say it has been quite hectic in the realm of news since because I guess everyone decided they wanted to announce things. Yeah, there's yeah. been a lot of announcements. Uh, so one of the first things, uh, finally coming to Disney, we got Star, which is all the Fox properties and mature content, finally uh, in its own category and online. Yeah. So things like Scrubs came over and Deadpool and the X Men movie, like just. If it was a Fox property, it's now on Disney Plus now. I've been using it as a chance to go back through Futurama, because it's been a while since I've watched Futurama, and there wasn't a good way to watch it online. In all four of its endings? Yeah, exactly. The, like, four separate times they decided they were done making the show, and they realized they could probably squeeze more money out <laughs> to of it. To be fair, so I don't think they decided they were done making the show. It's they true. were just, it's cancelled. <laughs> yeah. Four times. Yeah. One of them stuck. <laughs> For now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on top of that, uh, in the realm of Disney Plus information... Uh, a new series got announced that I'm actually quite interested in. Do you guys remember the Mighty Ducks movies? I sure do. Absolutely. Well, they got somehow Emilio Estevez back, and they're doing a modern like, oh. Mighty Ducks series. Oh my god. Holy fuck, they actually got Estevez. That is yeah. a blast from the past. And it looks like the Mighty Ducks organization is the bad guys. Of course they are. Alright. They've established them as winners in the past, and if there's anything I learned from uh, sports movies in that era... It's that the people who are have a record of winning are the bad guys at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, essentially from what we get in the trailer, the actress that plays Lorelai from the Gilmore Girls ends up uh, taking her son to hockey practice and it's the Mighty Ducks. And everyone's kind of giving him shit because he's bad at the game. So like, why can't kids just play hockey for fun and not competitive? And the joke about, you know, uh, an eight-year-old there has uh, a sports coach and a medical professional for his training. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. So then she's just like, fuck, we'll start our own league with Blackjack and Hookers. Plucky teens. Yeah, uh, and I, I think they're like the Gophers or something. But they're like, we need we need a coach. <laughs> I really enjoy the idea of a fucking Mighty Ducks series following a team that's not the Mighty Ducks in their goal to defeat the Mighty Ducks. It's <laughs> like if the Power Rangers movie was all about following someone who wanted to kill the Power Rangers. Also, Emilio Estevez has immediately regressed back to the first Mighty Ducks movie because it makes it very clear at the beginning that he hates both hockey and children. I like the idea of a fucking shitty lawyer who realized his love for children through hockey, then spending enough time coaching kids in hockey to be like, nah, fuck it, I realized, no, nope, kids were shit, I was right the first time. 
For kids and hockey. Yeah. For kids and this thing that brought me together with them. Yeah. But uh, she's like, well, we need a coach, and he's the coach we need. Of course he is. So that's how they brought back Amelia Last of Us. So uh, I'm looking forward to that when that comes out. It'll certainly be interesting, to say the least. <laughs> uh, in some video game news, uh, some things I found very interesting. So uh, Nintendo had their Pokemon Direct for the 25th anniversary. Yeah, I completely missed that until the day after, and it appeared in my feed. And did you see the Pokemon Legends Arceus trailer? I did. Did you see how I'm sure the Switch was on its last breath, sacrificing its life so we could see that yeah, gameplay? Yeah, it was stuttery as all. Oh, 100%. But it is an open-world Pokemon game, which, unlike what it was with uh, Sword and Shield, this one is, like, you know, ancient times with, like, in, the old Pokeballs made of the berries or whatever the yeah, hell they are. Specifically in the Sinnoh region, and I believe it's premise is you making the first Pokedex for the Sinnoh region. Yeah. And it, I really hope that means you actually get to write in your own entries rather than just like, you're filling out the Pokedex and every time you scan a Pokemon, it already has all the information and a description that you clearly did not fucking write. That way we can make up all of the nonsensical. Yeah. <laughs> this Magikarp can jump higher than a mountain. Probably. <laughs> I've never seen it, did, but it probably can. Man, I gotta play... Wait, does that mean we'll get Primal Magikarp? Because I remember that in one of the games they mentioned the fact that Magikarp is nothing what it used to be. It's like a shell of its former self, and it was like a rampaging oh. beast. I'd be kind of down for that. That'd Having be Magikarp being the most powerful Pokemon to the point where you have better luck catching a Gyarados and then breeding it to get a Magikarp rather than just trying to catch a wild Magikarp. Now with this, I still want it to only know Splash, and Splash is just like the most decimating move in like existence. Splash of the ocean, a giant tidal wave, just washes it's away called, everything. It's Splash, called, the sound the Pokemon that you're fighting makes when it hits it. It's just <laughs> called Splash, but then it reads, uh, fucking Magikarp Splash. It caused a tsunami. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's dead now. You somehow managed to beat the Primal Magikarp. Arceus descends down from the heavens to congratulate you, because that was the one plague keeping him from bringing forth peace to the world. <laughs> I was not coming to the world when Magikarp still existed. Arceus actually reveals that he's not God, Magikarp was God, and he now has to take over for him since he defeated him. Yeah, this game's getting good already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in the gameplay, it shows, like, you kind of, like, have to aim your Pokeball with, like, an arc and throw it and catch things, which is exemplified in a, I think it's two Mudkips or something. And he is standing back to back and he hits one and the other one does not flinch whatsoever. Just kind of stand there like it's not moving or breathing or anything. Just maybe if I don't move, it won't notice me type deal. It, it assumes we have T-Rex vision and who knows, maybe we do. Now, to be fair, there's also been a lot of rumors recently about the Nintendo Switch Pro, which this could be leading up to. Because apparently the Nintendo Switch Pro in dock mode is able to process up to 4K if the rumors are true. Interesting. That, that's a little bit reverse of what the Switch was on release. Because yeah. the Switch, when it was released, was inherently more powerful in its portable mode than when it was docked. Yeah, so apparently, like, the, what they're going with Switch, hypothetically, the processing power is going to be around what we'd expect from the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One X. Yeah. Okay. So that looks like what it's going to be going to. Of course, it's not going to probably have all the games and the big open stuff because it's still cartridge-based, but this is moving more towards... The games that are on the Switch aren't going to have this processing problem they've been running into. Yeah. Right. Means with uh, the Nintendo's next console, they'll be caught up with last generation of consoles for everyone else. 
And to be fair, Nintendo doesn't fucking care. They're yeah, no. doing just fine. Uh, another game that got a trailer, which I'm looking forward to. I've never really been big into the Five Nights games, but they released the Five Nights at Freddy's Security Breach trailer, which is you're kind of in like this big 80s mall, and you actually move around and have to do traps and avoid things. So it looks like it's a survival horror game where you're trapped in a mall, and not the I'm sitting in a booth pushing buttons. That is one thing I always felt kind of lacking about Five Nights at Freddy's is it's hard to get the full survival horror game feel when it's just you pushing buttons in a room trying to close vents and stuff like that. Actually having to walk around and complete objectives while also avoiding those things makes it seem a lot more kind of terrifying. Yeah, in the trailer it shows that you have to walk, like pretty much you're trapped in there and it's not, oh, I'm coming back each week for a paycheck or each day for a paycheck. It's, you gotta get out of the mall. Yeah. Uh, so it's you trying to escape uh, when these animatronics pop up. And, and the trailer actually shows like you'll be walking and you hear like the you look back and you see one of them fucking run at you and he starts running. Great. Another game that I can enjoy watching people be absolutely terrified of. So look forward to our episode on it in October when we force Matt to play. That's true. Uh, another game which uh, is coming out on the Switch that looked interesting was Gnosis. I completely missed this one. Uh, so Gnosis is a procedurally generated mystery game, as I guess is the best way to put it. So essentially, you're on a spaceship that comes into contact with something. Think of it kind of like The Thing. And someone on the ship is infected by this thing called the Gnosis. And it's trying to spread, essentially. So you and the rest of the crewmates who have all the personalities and uh, routines and all that stuff that's procedure generated, you have to try to figure out who it is and get rid of the person. And it doesn't look like it's a multiplayer game. It looks like a single-player experience where everything's constantly changing. So that means every time you play the game, it's a different person that's affected by the Gnosis. That's pretty fun. So, like, Among Us... Except where you play alone and don't have to deal with your bullshit friends. That's true. That's the uh, Interesting. Yeah, it looks like it's coming to the Switch. There's not too many details on it. It's kind of like a visual novel style where it has set points where things will happen. You're trying to resolve it on the ship. Uh, so you're trying to keep the ship going, but also trying to figure out who's the infected person who's removing people. And if you guess wrong or don't vote someone, it will say like, you know, oh, this person was attacked by the thing and, you know, they weren't found or you eject them from the ship, stuff like that. So-and-so was not the imposter. The Gnosis. Yeah, that. <laughs> and of course, uh, I guess this is probably the big news uh, for me that I'm excited about, but they announced with Final Fantasy VII coming to the PlayStation 5, it's getting an updated version called Final Fantasy VII Integrated. Ooh. And it adds a new story mission, which is kind of like a side story, where you play Yuffie. Right, I heard about the Yuffie DLC. And I also heard that uh, they're making a... Final Fantasy Battle Royale game. I didn't hear about this one, but uh, maybe you've heard of Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis. No. So you remember when Final Fantasy VII Remake got announced, and I was like, oh, it's a remake. Cool. And then clearly Final Fantasy VII didn't go down the path of being a remake, but yes. a new story. Well, Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis is that remake. And it combines all of the Final Fantasy VII canon storylines, so Crisis Core, Pre-Crisis, all that stuff, uh, Dirge of Cerberus, were all remade into a single game that tells the full Final Fantasy VII story. And my only assumption being that with this coming out, it's because they want you to know the story for when the part two of the seven remake comes out, and you know how fucking far they go off the track. Uh, yeah, you. they want you to know exactly what's supposed to happen, so when it diverges, you see exactly how the fuck it diverged. Also, uh, don't get me wrong, they actually did remake the core of the original Final Fantasy from what we saw in the trailer. It's update, like, it's not... It's not, like, to the scale that Final Fantasy VII Remake was done, 
but it's the exact same game. Everything's apparently the same, but the models have all been updated to more modern models, so it looks nice. Uh, there's uh, audio voice acting and all that stuff. Yeah. So okay. it's going to be definitely a game worth picking up if you didn't get to experience the full Final Fantasy VII storyline and kind of want it a more digestible thing. I love going back to play Final Fantasy VII, but by God, is there some parts in there that are very difficult just with the graphics of the time. Yeah. yeah. Like defending that fucking egg. The way that time has progressed, it makes that game hard to fucking get through. The uh, Battle Royale game that I heard through uh, essentially word of mouth, I have yet to actually look up any information on it. Apparently it's called The First Soldier. And yeah, it'll be a Final Fantasy based uh, Battle Royale. Interesting. How can it be a Battle Royale if it's about the first soldier? That implies exactly one person. There can only be one. Or does it mean soldier first class? Uh, I don't know. Something I'm going to have to look into. Or it's a hundred people fighting to earn the title of First Soldier. And if you die in the fight, you don't get to be a soldier. You also die for real. Uh, I'm still waiting for a game to introduce that technology. Whoever wins becomes Sephiroth. I mean, uh, technically that is canon within the world, so... Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Clearly someone hasn't watched Advent Children. <laughs> I have, actually. Oh, then someone doesn't remember Advent Children. <laughs> Not very well. Very clearly. <laughs> uh, and now, shifting over to some more movie news, we finally got the name of the third Spider-Man movie. Yep. Spider-Man No Way Home. There's a couple theories about that one. Uh, some of the more plausible ones are he's either on the run and can't go home because of the fact that his name has been released and he's been accused of committing crimes against the world. Uh, he's off-planet and literally has no way to get back to Earth. Uh... I think my favorite one that's definitely not going to happen is that he's in jail and the No Way Home is he can't leave jail. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that right there, you just do a Sinister Six move, right? Yeah. It all takes place in a prison. Follow Peter Parker's web-slinging antics from this jail cell. Plus, it's it would be very different from like any other superhero movie in jail. Because I can imagine other superheroes going to jail and constantly fighting with other prisoners to... like assert their dominance and, like, you're criminals, you're getting what you deserve. I can't imagine Spider-Man beating up another prisoner. I can only no. imagine him just like, I'm just gonna avoid you for the entire time I'm in here. <laughs> Get down here and fight me. No, I'm not leaving the ceiling. Yeah. All the all the inmates who are actually there for actual crimes are like, we're gonna beat you up. What you did was actually absolutely terrible. Like, no, I did nothing. You tried to kill the queen. I don't think that was the plot of the last one. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Um, I has not in any way been confirmed. In fact, the like name almost makes it hard to believe that this is the case. It is still my deepest fucking desire that Craven the Hunter is the primary antagonist of this one. <laughs> now that Peter Parker's name has gotten out there, I so desperately want it to follow Craven the Hunter hunting Spider-Man. Uh, one of the things I heard that was actually an interesting uh, thought on it was that the No Way Home is not a physical reference, but more of a reference of there's no way back to the uh, like being World anonymous Spider-Man. Yeah. He's pretty much like just like Iron Man. Iron Man became publicly known and that was it, right? Yeah. So the No Way Home means he can never go back to how things were, right. more so. So he has to learn to deal with the fact that everyone knows that he's Spider-Man. Yeah. A more symbolic tape on home. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you guys heard about this one, but I'm sure you'll be excited. So apparently, uh, Nickelodeon, you know how they were planning on doing the Netflix uh, series, right? I have heard about this. Uh, so the Netflix series got canceled, and Nickelodeon decided, we're going to make a studio that's all responsible for just Avatar lore. So apparently they're doing to Avatar what they did with, like, what uh, Disney did with Star Wars, where it's like, 
This is the whole world. We're going to tell stories in this world. And they have a whole department that's just dedicated yeah. to this world. I think the, the Netflix... Avatar series, Studios. The Netflix series went under because uh, the creators of Avatar were brought on to be the creative directors and creative leads and have all creative say. Yet they had no creative say whatsoever, so they just abandoned the project. Yeah. See, this makes me nervous uh, because you exactly what you compared it to was Disney taking over, or not taking over, <laughs> but uh, like canonizing what's real and what's not in Star Wars and then making everything beyond in that thing. And like, honestly, everything that's come out in Star Wars since then has been very hit or miss, except for The Mandalorian, which was hit, 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 hit. Um, I don't know why I said hit so many times. It just was a hit. Uh, so it makes me a bit nervous to hear that there's just me a studio that's just solely responsible for pumping out Avatar shit. Because well, to be fair, it's not pumping out. It's they're responsible for finding parts in the world where new stories can be told. Yeah, new stories, and I think they're also going to uh, bring out some already existing stories that are in like comic form. Yeah. So it's not I, so much they're going to, like, how can we milk this for all it's worth from the sound of it? It could very well be that. This could just be corporate speak of, like, oh, we want to make sure the fans get what they want type deal, right? Yeah. But it uh, sounds like from what we're getting right now, because it's still very, like, lacking information other than this group is responsible purely for going over Avatar lore and finding new stories to tell in this world. Uh, all I'm saying is it does make me a little bit nervous that it could very well become the kind of thing where... It's just a studio pumping out Avatar oh, yeah. stuff to try and capitalize on the market. Yeah, the only saving grace is that I think the original creators are also part of the team. So, uh... Until they realize they don't have enough creative control and quit. Because that's how I felt about the series before that <laughs> happened. <laughs> and then, of course, the last bit of information that, uh... Not really new, but I recently found out about, but apparently the Monster Hunter movie came out in December... And at the same time, it just recently went up on streaming for rent. Yeah, completely flew under my radar, completely forgot about it until just the other week. Yeah, it's just, I figured it out when I started getting a whole bunch of ads of, hey, you should be watching Monster Hunter right now. Stop what you're doing and pull up Monster Hunter on a streaming service and watch it right now. Uh, that's how I figured out that it was out for streaming. And watching the trailer, I think I realized something. I, I knew this was going to be a bad movie from the simple fact that it immediately starts with, what if people from the real world? Uh, and it's like, I think that's the problem that most video game movies go into. It always has to be someone coming from the real world into the game world, right? Well, I kind of understand why they do that. Like, it is fucking stupid. But you need, in order to reach a wider audience and not just have only fucking Monster Hunter World fans come to see this movie, you need someone in the fucking movie who doesn't know the world of Monster Hunter, so they have a reason to explain the world of Monster Hunter. But there's an easier way to do this. It's a person who came from a remote, a remote area that didn't have any monsters that they dealt with on a regular basis go to, like, you know, a big uh, city area, and that's when they start finding out about this stuff. So they have to team up with someone who is then, you know, given the information. I recognize that. I just feel like most studios take the easy approach of, if it's someone from our world then they can ask questions and we can answer it from a perspective of someone on our world learning. <laughs> or the age-old solve, they got amnesia. Yeah, yeah. Or get in <laughs> contact with some of the actual writers for Monster Hunter, because I'm pretty sure Monster Hunter actually does take place in our world, just far, far, far in the future, and something cataclysmic happened. All the more thing. They didn't transfer from our world to the Monster Hunter world, they transferred from our time forward into the future. I no longer have any complaints for this movie. 
I mean, it has Mila Jovovich. It's going to be a perfect uh, movie. It's going to be a fun movie. That, yeah. That's at least true. Yeah. It might be bad, but it'll be like popcorn. Because what I'll give is, the first two Resident Evil movies actually weren't bad. They were decent. They told a Resident Evil-esque story with some weird parts in it. But overall, they were passable movies. It got weird after that, but it still had really good action yeah. scenes and paid homage to parts in the games amazingly well. Yeah, I would argue that none of them were terrible movies. They just... Weren't Resident Evil. They weren't Resident Evil movies. They just paid homage to the Resident Evil games. Yeah. All I know is what I've read on Reddit, and what Reddit said is that absolutely nothing happens plot-wise for the movie. Except for Magic Rocket Launchers. I do remember Magic Rocket Launchers from the trailer. They have iron sights that also have homing features and all that jazz. Yeah. (sighs) Uh, (laughs) It just hurts. I hope they fixed that in the movie. I hope they didn't. (laughs) I'm gonna be... I'm going to be watching for that. When that scene rolls by, I'm uh, going... you got to especially watch for the other thing we noticed from that same scene, which is the magically feeding rocket, where the first time you see it, there's not a rocket, and then she shoots, and then there's a rocket inside of it. Yeah. you got to watch for that to happen as well. And as a player of Monster Hunter, I absolutely hate how she uses fire dual blades. We, against... uh, we, don't, we don't need okay. to get into the depths <laughs> of Monster Hunter lore. We'll save it for when we do the movie, I guess. All right. Alright, Matt. Fuck it. What do you want to talk about? Alright, today we are getting Warframe, right? No. (laughs) You wait, wait, it's your birthday. Why are you not talking about Warframe? Because you guys never wanted to play Warframe with me. This was your chance to make us! Uh, Well, anyway, since you apparently thought we were talking about Warframe, I'm gonna break the news to you and say that we are actually talking about my favorite anime. Uh Violet Evergarden. Jujutsu Kaisen. No. Made in a You bit. said it was Violet Evergarden. Man. I said that's one of my favorites. <laughs> my top That's fair, I, I changed my favorites as the last time. Yeah, yeah. mine too. It's Neon Genesis again. <laughs> anyway, my top favorite is Made in Abyss. A very lovely, happy go lucky series. No, now, it's not. No, no, no. I I, I can say something right here. Because Matt, you you played Made in Abyss as like some like horrifying, like mentally deranged oh, no. thing. It's no worse than Full Alchemist in my mind. Yeah, no. That being said, it is not fucking happy-go-lucky either. No. Neither is Full Alchemist. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying. But it's not like it was nowhere near what it was played up to be. Yeah. Yeah. From what I've seen. From the, the more, the Unless more... it's a floor full of clowns, like, you know, the eighth floor down. Yeah. Well, I guess the most jarring thing is when you look at the cover art, the artwork looks very cheerful and looks like it's kind of directed at a young audience, but when you actually delve into its contents... That is no such case. I mean, it could be. Oh, aside from all the dick jokes. Yeah. It's got a lot of dick jokes. It could still be for children. Yeah, I mean, uh, the creator did originally intend for it to be some sort of pop-up story. But, uh, didn't work out with that media due to, uh, the, the editors. dick jokes. The dick jokes and the editors and this. <laughs> I would love a pop-up book full of dick jokes, because you know there'd be at least one page that just is a dick popping up. Oh, yeah. But anyway, it takes place... On an island out in the middle of the ocean. This island was discovered 1,900 years ago. It has this huge, seemingly bottomless pit to it that, uh... What's at the bottom of the pit, Matt? Is it God? Is God at the bottom of the pit? 
So whatever you believe, but I have a theory that there's another pit on the other side of the planet that's just the same and eventually come out on the other you side. Would think the planet's just a donut! <laughs> you would think that, but apparently every other cave on the planet has been explored fully, except for this one. It's the last... I don't believe it. That's the most unbelievable thing <laughs> yes, in this. this entire series, that is the least believable part. It's the last unexplored place on the planet, and because of that, it has gained the attention of explorers and adventurers the world over. So Most this, of which are children, from what I understand. Only orphans, not, specifically. Only the orphans. That's uh, fair. I mean, what else, love, you, what else do you these orphans for? Yeah. If, your parents love, if you have your parents' love, then there's nothing to find in the pit. But if you don't have your parents' love, then you better look for it in the pit. Yeah, it might be your yeah. parents' love down there. Yeah. yeah, maybe. Actually, that might be the plot line. That might be specifically the plot that we're following, is one girl looking for her mother's love in the pit. Yeah. So, the story starts out in a town called Orth which was originated from just the creation of more and more, I guess, base camps of adventurers who are coming to explore the pit. And this town just popped up out of all of that nonsense. And, uh, well, the, the reason they do all these dangerous delves into the pit is because of some strange force field that they can't really describe, that, or, and it has no real known cause at the moment. Just, to be fair, I don't think they describe it as a force field. It's glazed over very briefly. They do in the manga explicitly call it a force They call field. it a more force field explicitly in the manga and only mention it by the force field once or twice in the anime. But in the manga, they do explicitly say that due to the way it works, it makes actually viewing the abyss from outside impossible. And when you're inside the abyss, it... Uh, helps filter light down into the darker, deeper reaches of the hole. Yeah. So it's like a mirror. It's like a one-way mirror. Pretty much. Except it does more than trap light. It also works to trap anyone... Souls. Anyone who's not from the Abyss. So uh, the Abyss has what's called the Strains of Ascending, or as what everyone calls it, because it has no... They have no idea why it happens. The Curse of the Abyss. As you go down into the abyss, the deeper you go, the more intense these uh, strains are when you're trying to get out. The abyss is broken up into different sections called layers as you go deeper and deeper. The first layer has uh, the most mild symptoms of the curse. When you're coming back up from the first layer, you get mild dizziness and nausea. Coming back up from the second layer, you get intense nausea, headaches, and numbness of the extremities. The third layer, you get vertigo, visual and auditory hallucinations. In the fourth layer, you experience intense pain throughout your entire body and bleeding from every single orifice. Every single orifice. Thus the dick jokes. You bleed from the dick. It's yeah. very explicit you bleed from the dick. Maybe other parts of the body, explicitly you bleed from the dick. Fifth layer ascension causes loss of all senses, confusion, and causes you to inflict self-harm. And sixth layer, loss of humanity, most likely death. Seventh layer, if you go down there, you're just going to die on your way back up. So uh, anyone who goes down below or goes down to the seventh layer, that's a one-way trip. And I believe they call it their final dive. Their final dive, their yeah. final descent. And uh, I guess uh, now is a good time to bring up all the, the rankings of the cave raiders. Because it, per- it makes perfect sense, the sequence that it follows. Yeah. First, there's uh, the bells, which are just novices in training. They don't do any cave. Raiding. I know five. <laughs> I I 
imagine I can guess the one you are missing, Keith. There's the Red Whistles, who yeah. are apprentices. The main character is a Red Whistle. and uh, Technically a Blue Whistle. Uh, no, still just Red Whistle. I never saw her give back that Blue Whistle. But you never see her with it again after they leave. I don't see her with any whistles after she leaves. Fair point. <laughs> she's not even a bell holder. She's nothing in this series. She starts off as a red whistle. Uh, technically, uh, we'll get into it. Uh, there's things that happen later that make her not a blue whistle either. Yeah, yeah. Slightly yeah. higher. Yeah. Blue whistles are the, the adepts. whistle. Uh, kind of. Yeah. So blue whistles are adepts. They're allowed to delve down into the second layer and explore the second layer. The red whistles, if they go down that deep, it's treated as suicide. They don't send search parties. They don't send search parties, because the red whistles have a depth limit of about 550 meters. I'm going to interject right here. Before you list what the next whistle is, I'm openly declaring that my the next whistle is the whistle Keith does not know about, based on the fact that it does not follow the pattern of the other whistles in the fucking slightest. Fair enough. It's the moon whistle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one that the uh, guy that does the patrols at the orphanage yeah. has? Okay. Juro. Or uh, as the, he's called by the orphans, leader. Yeah. Moon Whistle, you're allowed to go even deeper than the Blue Whistle. But it's more specifically, you're a teacher to the younger yeah. uh, classes. You're more adept. You're considered a teacher. And you teach the young ones coming up who want to be cave raiders. And then there's the Black Whistles, the experts who are above all of the others. In their experience of the of the abyss, well, it feels like you'd want them teaching them. Eh, except they spend—they're too busy delving. This, yeah. One of the notable black whistles of the series at the start is on a two-month expedition into the abyss, and he's not back until a couple episodes in. He's fun. Yep. Yeah, I like him. Gives gifts. And uh, like, and take it away. <laughs> and take and it away. There's the legends, the ones who are looked up to by absolutely everyone. The White Whistles, who are said to have surpassed their human limitations to challenge the Abyss and everything that it throws at them. There's only like, what, five or six of these guys? Yes. Something like that. Um, it should be explicitly noted, these aren't just like rankings that you're just referred to as a Red Whistle. Each of these people does specifically have a whistle that matches their specific yeah. ranking. So the blue whistles all carry blue whistles, the red whistles all carry red whistles, the white whistles carry magic whistles. Yeah, I was gonna say, the only time I've seen, like, the fact that the whistle makes any sense is with the white whistles, because the whole thing, like, you need this for certain items! Yeah. Uh, and there's a reason for that, but you learn that much later on. I yeah. have no idea what it's for. Yeah. The, uh, but yeah, all the whistles, aside from their color designation for how experienced you are and how far down you can go into the abyss... It's just, like, a safety item. Like, whistle yeah. for help if something happens. You can take notes for others. Presumably, maybe the different colors make more or less sound to make you easier to encounter your friends or harder to be heard by animals. Maybe. Who the fuck knows? knows? I doubt that because uh, that giant fish thing went after her pretty quickly. Yes. The crimson split jaw. But, uh... That's the one. Maybe red's the one that makes you most detectable to monsters. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. So, the story follows Rico, a little girl who, uh... I think, I think ten, 12. 12 years old. Because she was two when her mother left. And yes. Gone for ten years. Twelve years old. Come on, man! I know more than this. <laughs> also, might be controversial. I hate this character. Oh, I a hundred percent agree. She's she's the least interesting thing in the story. In the stories yeah. about her. Yeah, I I like the character, but 
She does have some problems. Okay, so when it started, I thought I was going to like her. Now, this might be controversial. I watched the anime version only. I was not invested for the first four episodes. And it was mainly because she starts off seeming interesting, and then it quickly goes down. Like, when she's talking about experimenting on Reg to see what's going on, to figure things out. And she's talking for the stuff, and he's panicking. There's like That was the, her highlight. Yeah. And that was episode two. Yeah. Her, her thing is, she's boundlessly curious. She's obsessed with going down in the abyss. Because her mother is one of these legendary white whistles. Who, uh, when she was, as you said, two years old, she left on her final descent to go down beyond the seventh layer to see the bottom of the abyss. And you're the annihilator. I think my problem with her is she does definitely prove to be very intelligent about things, but the issue is she kind of fills that role of, like, the princess from, like, you know, older stories. Like, she doesn't do anything except get saved. Yeah, she's, um... And cause problems. Yeah, her... She's Princess Elda. She's got the power of wisdom... And is also rescued often. She's more of an early princess peach. She has the knowledge of cave raiding to assist with Reg's power. Yeah. But she also has too much curiosity and gets into trouble for it. And loses all of her good gear within the first couple of times. Yeah. So yeah, follows her mainly and a couple of the other orphans at the uh, orphanage. Just her close friends, uh, Shiggy, Nat, and then a young little kid, Kiwi, who's just a little bell, too young to do any cave raiding. And uh, they're on their first assignment, because uh, uh, Rika wants to go deeper than she's currently permitted to. She made an agreement with their leader that if she gets the most valuable haul of relics from the Abyss during their first cave raid of the series... Then he'll allow her to go further down into the abyss for her next raid. But uh, things don't go so well, because uh, her friend Nat is attacked by an, a, a creature from the abyss, a crimson split jaw, a giant red snake thingy. Now, I don't know if they do this different in the manga, but in the anime, he's just kind of laying there, and then the thing shows up. So did he just fall or something? Oh, no. No. He was, he, uh, he was attacked. He was that attacked. Was... That was the reason for him laying there, was yeah. he had been attacked. Yeah, and the was Crimson it? Split Jaw just kind of came into frame. Okay, so the Split Jaw did attack him, but he was attacked. Yeah. And I'm guessing yeah, you're being coy about it because it's not figured out until much later in the story. No, the Split Jaw did attack him. Oh, the Split Jaw attacked him. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, uh, Rico sounds her whistle to save Nat. The Split Jaw notices the whistle, comes after her. She freaks out and runs. Gets smacked down a pit. And, uh... Running cornered. All the way to the third level of... No. No, no. Still in the first level <laughs> yeah. of the abyss. So she gets cornered and screams for help because she's about to be eaten. And then this giant laser comes flying out of nowhere, skins the top of the red jack... Or the crimson split jaw's head, and he goes running. And now flying. you know how most every encounter in this story is going to go. Yeah. yeah. Rico calls for help, and... Uh, one person particular answers. With a laser beam. I mean incinerator. Yeah. And so she goes to investigate and finds this passed out individual who she quickly finds out is a robot because his skin feels like rubber. And also he has, he has a, a surprisingly account. realistic penis though as we find yeah. out later. Yeah. <laughs> if there's anything you need to know about this man, his penis is surprisingly realistic. Yeah. Yeah. So they sneak him back into the orphanage because as we learn... Any relic that they find goes to the orphanage to fund the orphanage, because any relics that are found in the abyss are sold to foreign countries for profit. Those gullible sons of bitches. <laughs> yep. 
So, uh, they take Reagan secretly to, uh, poke around at him, see if they can wake him up. They shock him with all of the electricity of the orphanage, because they strap him into an electric chair. I accidentally set it to 20 instead of 2, which is just great. <laughs> yep. And, uh, that's when they found out that they tried to feed him coals first to power him. Also tried to pierce him. Also tried to Cut pierce him with a knife. Presumably at some Drill point during this experience is when they discover he has a surprisingly realistic Yeah, expected a surprisingly realistic yep. penis. Yep. Yep. For some reason tried to probe his butt. Well, the meter stick got lost halfway, yeah. right? It broke. <laughs> Although I will say, one of my favorite scenes in this whole part is when they all realize they have to kind of scatter because uh, leader's on patrol. And then when she's there, and it's like, oh no, where did he go? And you just see him hanging there menacingly in the back. It's like, is he going to murder this man? <laughs> yeah, it, there's definitely half a second there where you're like, oh, okay, so this is how leader dies. Okay, cool. Yeah, he probably would if he wasn't... You see, just bring up the hands, they're charging, like, oh. He probably would. But no, then he notices that Riku's looking, he's like, ah, I guess I'll just leave then. No, he probably would have. Never if be the, alone. If he didn't lose his memories, and he was not more concerned by the fact that he had extendable arms. And so. And a remarkably realistic piece. <laughs> remarkably realistic. Yes. That line comes up too much in the series. Yeah. <laughs> Almost as much as irredeemable. And parts where it doesn't make sense. I, don't, I, don't, I think that's more of a phrase that uh, those characters learned from a certain character. But anyway, uh, next episode is the kids. They uh, come up with a plan to get Reg introduced to Juro, leader, and get him intro- indoctrinated into the orphanage. Could use a word, indoctrinated. Yeah, pretty much what and it at is. At the same time, Jiro just gives off the feel for the whole series like he already knows everything that's oh, yeah. going on. Yeah. And he's just uh, watching and just making sure things don't get out of hand and giving reprimands when they're needed, but making sure they're learning. Because he's a good teacher. And also his teacher was Rico's mother. So, that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, so Reg gets in, they start learning and all that. And he starts to learn everything about what it is to be a cave raider, or a delver, however you want to call them. Yeah, he's hoping to be a red bell, but nah, fuck you. You're, uh, sorry, a red whistle. Fuck you, you're a bell. You do chores for a living. That's your life. You're a bell until you do your first cave raid. But we're not really going to teach you about that. We're mostly going to get you to sweep the floors and shit. Yeah, but while that's happening... It's like a Mr. Miyagi thing, maybe. Yeah. While that's happening, um, two months has passed, and that Black Whistle that I mentioned, who was on his ex- adventure, or his uh, excursion, he returns with his team, and they come with a message and a white whistle. Does that message or white whistle have any impact on the main characters we've been following so far, Matthew? It does! That whistle belongs to Liza the Annihilator. Just so happens that Liza is the name of Rico's mother. And, I'm sure that's not really. And the Annihilator, Annihilator is definitely not a super ominous name to be associated with that character. Yeah, so uh, a festival breaks out in Orth because... Uh, she's dead. And she's that's dead. something to celebrate. Yes. <laughs> Apparently. Makes you almost feel like the people are being oppressed by the white whistles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like the fucking beginning of The Wizard of Oz where they find out the white whistle's dead and they're like, let's throw a fucking party, ding dong, she's dead. <laughs> In essence, it's to celebrate her life and her accomplishments uh, and, uh, yeah, to memorialize her. Memorialize. 
That's the word. <laughs> now, this is where one of the first problems come up that I had, like, a real concern with was the fact that they make explicitly clear that if something a white whistle sends up comes up, it's fact. But if it's not a white whistle, it's false. <laughs> like, Wait, yeah, that's, there, there's a little more to that. If yeah. something a black whistle sends up from where a black whistle is able to go due to their limitations, then that's also considered fact. But if a black whistle goes out of their depths and sends something up, it's going to be discarded. Yeah, but say a white whistle went down and lost their mind and sent up a message with, you know, unrelated to, hey, it's really cool down here at the bottom, why don't you all come join me? Yeah, um... It's going it, to be considered fact. Exactly. It, and that might be a problem for, you know, some impressionable children. Yes. To bring it back to our talk about the white whistles clearly being oppressors, no matter what the fuck they say, it's considered a fact. So they could say, you know what? Giving me blowjobs heals all the curses of the abyss. Yeah, sure, that's a fact now. You know what's fun? Sending orphans into the abyss. Yeah. Send orphans all the way to the bottom of the abyss. If don't, we'll kill them on their birthday. Yeah. But yeah, since uh, it's a package from uh, White Whistle, it has to be uh, inspected first before Rico can get it. But uh, the Black Whistle, who uh, brought it up, his name, Hablog, or as everyone calls him, Habo. Hablog's dog, yeah. Yeah. Um, Habo Hotel. He comforts Rico by saying, yes, I'm sure it's a message from your mother to you. So, like, yeah. It's You'll get you. to read it once they're done expecting it. Yeah. Also, by the way, I have this whistle. Yeah, because it's tradition that if a white whistle passes on, then the whistle goes to one of their relatives, the next of kin. And now she's a white whistle. Not quite, because a white whistle will only work for the person that it was originally made for. And it's made from the human soul of other people. I don't think this was mentioned at all. It wasn't. <laughs> it will be. It will be later on. After the 13 episodes... Is that why she's the Annihilator? No. After, it'll be mentioned after the 13 episodes of the first season. That's okay, the I only... get past that. Fair enough. I know there's a movie yes. that takes place afterwards, but I haven't gotten to that. There is the 13 episodes of... Uh, that's out. There's the first movie, which takes events of first half of that yeah, the second the first movie two movies is the second are half the 13 episodes just broken up and then the third and movie is, is the yeah. arc that follows that yeah so uh souls and the whistle souls and the whistle in the package the whistle <laughs> we'll get to that later maybe also suffice to say even though she's holding a white whistle rico isn't a white whistle yet yeah and uh i mean when she i, I think with the depth she's gone to with this one whistle i think she's I think she's at least got honorary white whistle going. Yeah. And I should say that it's been kept secret from pretty much everyone except for Rico's closest friends and their teacher that her mother is a white whistle because uh, things could get very bad for Rico if they found out that her mother was someone so important to society. Yeah, there was someone made offhand, well it was flashback I think, but the offhand comment about like, yeah, kidnappings or beatings. Yeah. But, um... Not stated for who though. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, kind of uh, helpful that this festival is giving out replicas of Liza's whistle because now Rico has the actual whistle. Kind of helped disguise it. Yep. Oh, I never made that connection. That makes sense. Yeah. She can just claim, if anyone questions about it, that it's one of the replicas. She's... Oh, yeah, well, maybe you should blow it next to this relic. Uh... <laughs> won't do we'll, anything we'll so she's safe. Yeah. She's not the one the whistle was made for. It was made for her mother. Out of the souls of other people. Yeah. So the next episode has, uh, you know, the contents, they review the contents of the package in that episode. 
So uh, when they do, they see all of Liza's notes from even further down into the sixth and the seventh layers. And they're like, oh my god, no one knows this stuff yet. This is all new information. And then they notice a little drawing of a silhouette that Liza saw and commented on that looks very similar to Reg. So I'm sure it'll never come up again. Certainly. But now uh, Reg's like, if I came from that far down in the abyss, I'm what am I? Where? Why was I created? And why the hell am I a robot? And why is my penis remarkably realistic? <laughs> that too. Um, but they also find a little note. Uh, what did I write down that note? See, my favorite thing is like it's commented yeah. by some of the kids that they think Rag was just made by, out of different artifacts, like pieced together and assembled into human boy form. Which means that one of the artifacts was a remarkably lifelike yeah, penis. Um, uh... <laughs> they do explain that the relics get very strange the further down you go. Yeah. yeah. The relics have a rating system. There's the grade 1 relics, grade 2 relics, grade 3 relics. Grade 1 relics are a little more special. Grade 2 relics less so. Grade 3 relics just common things. Also, then... relics don't really come up very much in those 13 episodes. They're kind of like they're, passingly things that aren't that important to the story. I don't know the, if it comes into effect. Like, like I know they have relics in use. Yeah, there's... They're mentioned here and there. There's a couple of relics that are used widely. Like, um, their headlamps yeah. are relics refined to actually emit light. Yeah. That fucking compass you dropped. <laughs> that compass you dropped right when they first started their journey. And uh, that scale umbrella that she has is a relic, third-class relic that she picked up and pocketed. And presumably got in trouble for. Yeah. So, like, yeah, they use them here and there, but, like, the concept of finding a relic doesn't seem to be really a common thing in the story. Yeah, because, well, most of the relics that are found are sold for profits, and just people who find the relics get notoriety and more fame to their name. Yeah. And I guess the only relics they really hold on to are ones that'll help them cave raid better. Makes sense. So yeah, we don't really get a full description of the scope of what relics can do, just because most relics aren't relevant to cave raiding, yeah. so they're just shipped off. There's, and then, outside of those regular grades, there's special grades, like one specifically, the uh, the Silent Bell or something. The Unheard Bell. The Unheard Bell, that uh, Liza had reclaimed from the Abyss. And it is apparently said to be able to stop time in some regard. Whether or not it actually comes up in the story later on, I have no idea. But uh, certainly powerful, to say the least. Yep. It's also used to briefly bully Rico. It's like, hey, that was fucking lost in the abyss because oh, yeah. of you. You're solely responsible for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, we actually recovered it shortly after you were born. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When they were reviewing the, or reviewing the contents of the package, they find... A little written message saying, at the netherworld's bottom, I'll be waiting. So they assume Liza is sending that message to Rico, saying that she's waiting for Rico to come and find her. I hope it's not, and she gets down there, and she meets him. It's like, what the fuck are you doing here? I'm gonna <laughs> assume it's not. I was sending that to the guy who gave me the real good dicking that one time. I was, I don't care about you. <laughs> I, I, I abandoned dead. you when you were two. Why do you care? Also, I thought that guy was dead. <laughs> a different person probably gave her a dicking at some point in time. Yeah. Rico's dad is absolutely dead, yes. Not too much happens in the next episode. It's more Reg's first experience with the Abyss. <laughs> Still wasn't invested at this point. <laughs> and uh, Reg 
more coming to the terms that he's a robot because he doesn't even feel the uh, strains of ascension when they're returning and doesn't doesn't even feel them at all. Yeah, completely kind of forgets that they're a thing until another girl starts fucking puking and he's like, oh, right, yeah, that thing I was told about. Yeah, and so this episode's more more of them talking, planning on how they're going to go or how they're going to start and reg coming to the realization that if he wants to find out what he wants to, he's going to have to go down to the abyss himself also. Yeah, the end of the episode ends with, uh, despite a couple of them not, a couple of their friends not wanting Rico and Reg to go. Um, yeah, in fact, a really cool person just straight up tells Rico, yeah, by the way, your mom's 100% dead. Been, we don't know how she's long been gone gone for, to get out. Yeah, she's been gone for 10 years. She's dead by now. No one can live down there that long. Get fucked, bitch. But yeah, I believe um, was implied. Yeah, so they end up leaving. And uh, on their way out, the, uh, Reg runs into Jiroa, and... Uh, <laughs> I did enjoy this funny Because Reg is like the thing keeping me going in the series at this point, because he's yeah. just so entertaining. It's like, yeah. oh, she go- oh, she went to take a dump, she's got the runs, like, foraging for food in the mist again. <laughs> it's like, well, well, she- you said she's gone to the bathroom, right? And you're going to? Keep an eye on her. Pats him on the back. She's like, oh, okay. And just heads off. Turns out he was slipping a little message into his pocket. Of course he was. Which uh, we read in the following episode. It's like, uh, it contains a copy of all the notes that Liza had sent up of the lower levels of the abyss and a message from the teacher himself. He's like, yeah, I'm leaving at dawn to come and get you and bring you back. This also did not play any any significance in the story. Um, not really, because he didn't actually show up. It was more the fact that he was giving them one last test, and if they couldn't get away from him, then they had absolutely no hope of getting anywhere further into the abyss. Yeah. But, like, having, like, you know, the threat of him would have been, I guess, better because Abu found them yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah. Incredibly quickly. Yeah. Inhumanly quickly when he was first found moving at inhuman speeds, which I'm assuming is a relic he found that lets him speed himself up. Probably. Because he couldn't risk missing that remarkably realistic thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I assume the relic that allows him to move incredibly fast is just a remarkably realistic set of thighs that he just replaced his own with that allows him to run real quick. But yeah, so uh, he comes down because uh, he's contacted by their friends at the orphanage saying, like, please help Rico make it down to the secret camp, down to the second layer at least, please. And uh, just so you know... Reg is actually a special, special grade relic, even more special than special grades. Albod, or whatever they, however they call them. Which is so rare that it's not even, they're not even written about or mentioned when they're found. And so he's like, oh, I've got to see this for myself. And then goes off on his own immediately. So he catches up, talks to them. He's like, all right, I'll send you, I'll... Guide you guys down to the secret camp at the second lair. And uh, they're like, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, this is a lesson. We've got to do it ourselves to make a clean getaway. He's like, all right, fine. But yeah. let me warn you. There's a white whistle at that camp. Ozen. You don't want to mess with her. And to be fair, like them doing it on their own makes the most sense. Because I, I think both of them realize if they can't do it, they also probably shouldn't be oh, doing yeah. it. Right? Yeah. 
And, like, if they get caught, then it's like, okay, we just have to prepare more for next time. Yeah. It's more, they realize, well, they're in the safety zone, that if they can't do it, they definitely can't do it when they don't have that safety net. Yeah. And it's also around this time, uh, after they depart from uh, Havlog, where they encounter their first uh, mishap due to a little bit of curiosity. This one was more so a little Reg's fault because of his better hearing. And I fucking knew where this was going before it even started. Yeah, yeah, it's not hard to figure out yeah, where no. it's going. Reg hears a cry for help in the distance. So it's like, what? I hear someone. Someone's calling for help. So they go and investigate. Turns out, um, the person was already dead. And it was a creature feasting, feasting on his innards called a corpse weeper that was, I guess, echoing the sounds that he'd made before dying in an effort to lure in other nearby suspecting prey. Of course. And so Rico gets swooped up because they accidentally wandered right into their nest or their territory. And uh, this is the second time Rag fires off his incineration cannon that we've seen. That we've seen. The and cannon's his penis, isn't it? No, it's his hand. Oh, I wonder what comes out of his penis. <laughs> blood is <isn't> it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, yes, coming up. We've discussed this, sorry. Not his, because he's not affected by the ascending strains. <laughs> Someone else's blood comes out of his That's a horrible magic trick. Oh, that's terrifying. Um But yeah, he saves Rico. He is absolutely distraught though when he comes to, because as it turns out, whenever he fires it, ten minutes later, he goes unconscious for a full two hours. The thing I like about this is when, like, someone actually explains it to him, he start actively starts, uh, like, telling other people what he's gonna do. I was like, <laughs> yeah. okay, I just fired this can off. You got two hours. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you gotta hide yourself for two hours and stay safe. Or I can't help when you. When he's talking to other people, he's like, I just fired this off, so I need you to carry it back, because in two hours, I'm gonna be awake again. Because <laughs> in ten minutes, I'm just gonna be a doormat. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Reg's uh, all panicked, because he almost killed Rico with that blast. But Rico's like, Clearly you could use this before, because before I found you, when you fought off the split jaw, it was only a little, little beam, so you could obviously control it before. So you just gotta remember how to... Well, I feel like shocking him in an electric chair at level 20 might be partially why he lost his memories. Also, just want to point out, still at this point, still not invested. But then we get down, after this, we get into the second layer. Sorry, Keith, Keith, I hope that joke keeps going all the way through my description like we finished the 13th episode. You're like, still not invested at this point. I don't know why I kept going. We find out Keith just is really mad at Matt for making him watch this. Then we get to the second layer, which is uh, probably one of my favorite parts of the Abyss thus far. Because up till now, outside of a little bit of fantastical plant life and animal life, we've seen nothing Truly out of the ordinary. But now in the second layer, in the Forest of Temptation, we get into the inverted forest. And it is a forest fully growing upside down. And because of the strong wind currents being generated from below, even some waterfalls are flowing upwards. Yep. Fun times. Yeah. So with a little bit of trouble, due to some uh, local monkey problems, they... Make their way to... The Monkey <laughs> problem sounds like a euphemism, man. I'm gonna be honest. It does not sound like an actual thing. They have some problems with monkeys. There we go. They make their way to the secret camp, which we learn always has a lookout on guard to uh, 
see when uh, any cave raiders are coming so they can lower a gondola down so they can come up to the secret camp. And the secret camp is located on the edge of the lair because I guess the curse gets a little bit weaker the further away from the center you go. And also, the more violent creatures and the more aggressive creatures are closer to the center. Well, it's Maybe also, they're tied to the curse. It's also said that they are capable of actually seeing the kind of barrier that represents the curse, which is why the creatures are able to travel between levels without fucking dying. Is because well, they can tell where the barrier is the weakest and most likely to survive. That's part of it. Some of the, some of the creatures further down can see the the force field, but any of the creatures from inside of the abyss aren't affected at all by the abyss. Yeah, that was like in general because I know things said for sure, but it's implied that anything from the abyss is not affected by it. Correct. Sure. So anything made in the abyss. Yeah. And like as... a remarkably realistic abyss. <laughs> And uh, as we've heard from Rico a couple episodes prior, anything that was brought out of the Abyss is said to eventually return to the Abyss. Which has some significance. But yeah, they reach the Seeker camp. Lookout's like, hey master, should I send down the gondola? Because the lookout just seems to be a little kid who is a blue whistle. Which, uh, from what we know, seems a little bit odd, but alright. They're down in the secret camp. With the white whistle. I think it was odd. Fair enough. (laughs) Because, uh, well, white, or red whistles don't normally get their blue whistle until they're around 16 or so. I don't think it was specified in the anime. Yeah, Yeah, I think in the... I thought as long as you had the stuff, you were any whistle you wanted to be. Yeah, I think in the moment... Or you had the guts to steal one. It's not said that you need to reach a certain age, it's yeah, just it's, that on average, most get them around the time they're 15. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, the gondola's not sent down, so they get to the secret camp, and, uh, Reg tries shooting his arms up to, uh, cl- pull them up, and he starts to freak out, because someone picks up his hands on the other side, and just drops them back down, and then sends the gondola down. Good old Ozen was waiting for them. You don't want to fuck with Ozen if there's one thing I've learned from Havelog. I've just Havelog. Got, yeah. I've just got to say this right now. Ozen is my favorite character. What a coincidence, Matt. Is Ozen your favorite <laughs> yes. character? Yes. That's okay. when Keith started getting invested was when Ozen was here. <laughs> as soon as Ozen was like, I fucking hate this brat, I was like, okay, Ozen. Yeah, we cool. <laughs> so yeah. Um, a little bit of talking. Ozen, uh, let's Rico in. On a bit of information, it's like, yeah, you were born down in, or Rico was, Rico was aware that she was born in the abyss, but Ozen lets her know that she was a stillbirth. But, um, yeah, so. Uh, to be fair, Ozen's like, this is an interesting character, and then when she just started, like, harassing these kids and, like, yeah. beating the shit out, I was like, I think this is my favorite character. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's because she's beating the shit out of the robot and the kids, but. Yeah, so they it didn't, it didn't hurt. No, of course yeah, not. Because Rico's saying her reason to go down to the abyss is to go after her mother. And she presents the white whistle that was sent up. She's like, you're the one who found this, right? And Ozen's like, yeah, I found it. Don't you know what it means when a white whistle makes it to the surface? It means she's dead. <laughs> I found. Do you know where I found this? I found this on her grave. <laughs> and then she starts going, you're going to go dig up the grave? I'm like, great. So what are you going to do when you get down there? Dig up the grave? See for yourself, huh? <laughs> But the way Ozen says it is she's very lacking in energy and, like, emotionally distant, kind of. Yeah. She's very monotone and 
just absolutely perfect for the just hard truth that she's delivering right now. Yeah. Great so, <laughs> in, yeah, in essence, right now she's gauging just why they're going down to the abyss and whether or not they're determined enough to face the challenges ahead. Which they are. Yeah, at this point they're not. Yeah. Simple fact, they're not. And so she's like, yeah, you smell like vomit, so go get cleaned up. We'll uh, we'll talk in the morning. What a great character. <laughs> Just someone who unrelentingly shits on children. Yeah. So, oh yeah, and I'll hold on to this white whistle until you guys leave and give you these blue whistles because it would be really awkward to explain to anyone else coming through here why there's a couple of red whistles down at this level. But then they also later explain that no one's expected for ten, uh, ten days. Oh, wait, no, two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, Marilk, or Mar... Where's the name? Yeah, Marilk is, uh, this little person in, uh, kind of a dress who is Ozen's assistant. Now, I have to ask a question, because it was never revealed in the anime. Is that a guy? It is a guy. Oh, yeah, I assume. Because they were talking, because they they never really give the conversation, but Ray and them are bonding over something, and it's like... They both have remarkably realistic penises. Don't uh, yeah, they? it's yeah. explicitly said in the manga. He also has a remarkably realistic penis. <laughs> Not really, though. I know, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. In Japanese, he refers to himself with masculine uh, yeah. pronouns and uh, also just how he reacts to seeing Rico come out of the bath naked and he just like bolts right away. He's like, oh, no, I'm out. And I'm assuming that's also Ozen's doing. Yeah, he just dresses like that because uh, Ozen likes it. <laughs> Ozen's great. Yeah, Ozen's pretty fucking great. Because yeah. um, it's not explained here, really. It's explained in a little side series of episodes I came out with uh, the most recent movie. Okay. That uh, Marlk, the reason Marlk is down there is because... He's a vampire. He was on an airship that was sent into an expedition in the Abyss. But the airship was attacked by a bunch of creatures and crashed. And the entire crew was killed, his father included. And he was just hiding in like a little box, essentially, for a couple days until Ozen and her explorer team found him. And uh, just took him on as her disciple. But yeah, Marilk is talking with them, finding out more about them and such. And then, uh, they turn in for the night. Rico wakes up in the middle of the night, has to go pee. So she goes looking for the washroom. What she finds instead... Full alchemist. <laughs> yeah. Is a moving, decapitated corpse of something coming towards her. She freaks out, runs back into Reg's bed, and... Pees there. Pees there. I also like that he calls, like, I know you do this in your bed, why'd it have to be mine? Yeah. And Marlok's like, don't worry, I used to do this until a couple of years ago, too. It's like, yeah, great, thanks. And then Ozen comes. He's like, oh, I see. Alright. I hear what's been going on. Come with me, I'll explain some things to you, if you want. If you want to hear the truth. And so Rico's like, yeah, I'm curious, okay. I... I understand in this story it doesn't work out that way. In any other story, if a character like Ozen says, come with me if you want to learn the truth, that character is not the same after that conversation. <laughs> They're either dead or they are never going to be able to talk again. Honestly, I don't think Rico was quite the same after this okay. anyway. Rico's not the same, but she should have been a lot more different given the context. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, like, 
to this point, even at the end of episode 13, I felt that nothing has changed about the character of Rico. She's oh, the yeah. exact same, and that's why she's yeah. not interesting. Yeah, she doesn't change up until this point. It's not until after this encounter with Ozan and everything that happens here that she starts to change a bit. Well, even with that, I didn't notice a difference. Yeah, not much, but slowly. So Ozan guides them to her chambers, where at the end of the chamber, well, they're walking through and they see Ozan's big suit of uh, imposing cave raiding armor. And at the end, on a pedestal, they see this giant white cube. Which the is cube. revealed to be what is known as the Curse Warding Vessel. The Tesseract, yeah. Which, um, it's written about in their artifact catalog that they have up in Orth. It's said to be able to repel the curse and protect anything from the effects of the curse that's stored inside it. And Such as a stillborn baby. And Ozan's like, yeah, that's, um, that's not entirely correct. Because, uh... Anything that you put in there when going up, it'll still die. Just, uh, it'll start moving again. It'll come back to life. Seeing you again reminded me of the fact that, uh, when you were born, you were stillborn. I love the flashback to this, too, where she's like, I would just leave this fucking cube, and then starts crying, like, ah, shit, what have I done? Yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, because Liza's there just after giving birth in the cave, and she's depressed as all hell because... Her husband just died in an attack from other cave raiders. Or died, not necessarily directly because of, but indirectly because of an attack from cave raiders. And uh, they stored the corpse of the baby in this uh, curse-repelling vessel. And Ozan just walks out of the cave because Liza wants some time to herself. And Ozan's just there like, man... This thing's too heavy. There's, there's no reason to bring a corpse back up to the surface, so we're just going to leave this here and actually get the uh, the unheard bell that we came down here for and bring that up. And then the baby starts crying inside the cruise warding vessel. And Ozan's like, hmm. So I've made more problems for myself. Yes. And then so coming back to the present, Ozan explains that because she remembered that fact, she decided to put a piece of the meat she uses to cook their food, their meals, into the curse warning vessel and see what happens. And sure enough, it came to life and wandered out. And the first thing it did, along with the first thing that Rico did when she came out of the curse warning vessel alive, is that they went, their first movements were to go towards the abyss. Does that explain why Rico is drawn so hard to the abyss? Or is just Rico just some curious little plurp? Who knows? It's the second one. It's definitely the second one. Yeah, because I thought, like, I was thinking there might be something special about her with the Abyss, but then when, later on, she starts suffering some of the curse effects, I was like, okay, well, there goes that theory, I guess. Well, yeah, and she's very quick, because she even has that thought, too, of, like, I was born in the Abyss, maybe I don't suffer the curse. And then she's like, oh, wait, right, no, I got sick climbing from the first yeah, no, fucking she, level. She's immediately reminded that, yeah, no, you, you're, you're not immune to the curse. The only effect that she had kept from being born in the abyss is the fact that her eyes suck well, well no they don't suck she just gets headaches and yeah. she's not wearing crystals yeah she has to look through crystal lenses or else she'll get so headaches. she's new age like that yeah <laughs> i need these crystals to ward off evil spirits yeah and so uh reg gets fed up with uh ozen bullying her so he starts attacking ozen to no effect ozen is just too insanely strong 
causing... This is where I really stood like yeah. was actually, yeah. <laughs> Just calling Reg a little toy. Because uh, Reg's, like, pretty much indestructible. Like, nothing they did to him on the surface could phase him or scratch him or dent him at all. <laughs> well, after the fight, she even makes the comment yeah. of, uh, you see, I was just going to hurt you and see what could happen, like, egg you on, but you just, I wasn't making a dent, so I got carried away and started hitting you harder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so Reg felt pain and his hand cre- creaking under the grip of Ozen. And during the fight, o- a bit of Ozen's clothing is blown off, and it's revealed that... She's using her own relics. About 120 of these thousand-man wedges, which each individual one grants a fairly significant increase to her strength and stamina. And that explains why she's so freaking strong. Well, Pablo even explains, like, uh, this is like, oh, is it true? She's like, the super strong. He's like, well, there's only rumors, but those rumors have been around for 50 years and yeah, haven't she, changed. She's been yeah. cave-raving for over 50 years, and she's still going strong. Yeah, there's a reason she's known as Ozen the Unmovable, and is just considered the most indestructible person in the entire world. Yeah, so uh, Reg's like, oh no, this is serious. I've got to tell her to back off right now. So he starts firing his incineration cannon, and Ozen's like, ooh, pretty light. What does this do? What would happen if I aimed it at Rico for you? And Reg's like, oh no, 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 I've already started this. I can't stop this. So he kicks his Which hand. Which is why. Yeah. But he has more control over it at that point. Fair enough. But, um, yeah, so he kicks his hand up, blasts a hole through the roof and several of the t- other trees. And Ozen's like, oh, it just fires and keeps on going. Damn. <laughs> Gotta get me one of those. And then, uh, proceeds to continue. Your hands given to me. Yeah. And then when Reg goes in contact. Also, you're realistically. Ridiculously <laughs> realistic penis. <laughs> Give it to me. Then Reg goes unconscious and he continues to get beat up. And then she does her own experiments, just like Rico did in the top. More beating up. More just... She's trying to wake him up. Wail, wail on him. Yep. Hammer in a part that she actually bent. But, um, yeah, Marl ran away during the fighting and got some of uh, Ozen's cave raiding team to come and put a stop to things. And Ozen's like, yeah, I was just testing you guys. Just this is what testing looks like, yeah, guys. I was testing to see if you have what it takes to go into the abyss. You don't. So uh, for the next two weeks, I'm going to train you. But first, you're going to spend ten days out here surviving by yourself. And if you come back, you've given up and you're going home. I like... I didn't, No, this isn't quite how it works. But I like the idea of telling someone you're going to spend two weeks training them, but they have to spend the first ten days not near you for the latest. <laughs> you get four days of training, but you have to prove you deserve it. All they really do is beat up a hippo. Yeah. Yeah. They come to the real, or they start to uh, actually put two and two together. Reg is strong, but kind of timid. And Rico is not strong at all, but knowledgeable. Not also timid, not timid. Not timid. <laughs> Too not timid. Dangerously brave. <laughs> unreasonably brave for her situation. Yeah, so they start working together to get things done, and they manage to survive the ten days, go back. And uh, they have another little conversation with Ozen. Ozen's like, yeah, I'll tell you a little more about stuff and things. And also that grave, that's the one thing that I uh, did lie about to you. It was empty when I checked. (laughs) So she's probably still alive. He's like, I'm the kind of person that would dig up the grave. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think she phrased it like, what, did you think I wouldn't dig up the grave? Do you know who you're talking to? Yeah. But she also says that uh, the deeper down you go, 
time seems to flow a little more differently, or your perception of time seems to alter a bit. Because she went down deep for what she intended to be two weeks, but when she got back, a couple of months had passed. So, uh, she explains that since Liza went down ten years ago, who knows how much time's gone. Maybe not much at all. Only a couple of years, perhaps. So she's probably still alive. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Then, uh, when bidding farewells, she's like, oh, take this. It's your mother's weapon that was at her grave. The Blaze Reed. And it's essentially an explosive pickaxe with uh, eternal gunpowder inside. Yeah. Which I assume is another relic that just can be used over and over again. Yeah. You know who's going to use it? Definitely not Rika. Reg, because yeah. it's freaking heavy. What if she can hold it? Well, she like, can hold every it. time where she has a chance to use it, she's like, hey, Reg, use this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so she says it only has a couple of uses left because the gunpowder is good, but the casing is old as heck and only going to be able to withstand a couple more explosions. And she just comforts Rico, saying, yeah, it's your mother. She's found a new weapon by now. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. Uh, someone with the, like, surname of The Annihilator, or not surname, but, like, the title of The Annihilator, doesn't strike me as the kind of person to just abandon a weapon without a backup oh, yeah. prepared. Because, um... Her fists. Yeah. Because at the beginning, before Rico descends, Leader tells her that her mother was... A very straightforward, aggressive person, violent. She was 100% a tavern brawler. Yep. Drinks a lot. And uh, you never knew if she was telling the truth or just how much of the truth she was telling. Like, Which hey, is- it's great down here at the bottom of the abyss. Come hang out. <laughs> yeah, a great thing to hear about someone whose word is absolute fact in your society. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, after Rico left, he also said that eh, it's probably better that I didn't tell her that, uh, after she was brought up, she went back down to go get the unheard bell and take care of the raid team that they ran into before. So she just killed them all. Yeah. But yeah. So they head out again. Some sad goodbyes because uh, Marulk was happy to have some kids his age for once to talk to. But um, now they're moving on towards the third layer of the abyss, the Great Fault. Which is a vertical shaft. Which, at first glance, you're not moving through it very well. But... I mean, this is the thing that gets me. is they, like It's not exactly how it's presented, but they describe the abyss as a giant pit in the ground. Mm-hmm. And then the great shaft, is just, or chasm, is just more pity than the rest of the pit <laughs> that you're in. Oh no! The other one had ledges. <laughs> But, um, this one does too, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah. Although, the one thing that I don't really get about the Great Chasm or the Great Rift, how did they originally get the Curse Repelling Vessel up there? Because that vessel is freaking huge. And the animal burrows and things that they have to crawl through and hop between to get down there, they're not that big. Ozen probably threw it up. Ozen probably just jumped from level 5 to level 3. <laughs> Or from four to two. Skipping the castle. Rift or whatever the fuck it's called. I'm just going to assume that they had something jury-rigged ahead of time. They had other artifacts that we just yeah, don't know about at this time. They had something prepared specifically for that voyage. I mean, they have, like, proto- like a 
blimp-like technology, right? So it could have been something as simple as that. But especially through this layer, though, any flight or travel through air is next to impossible because of all the flying predators that would tear anything to shreds. Yeah, but they had Ozen. Yeah. Fair. And the Annihilator. Doubly fair. But, um... It's just, they don't even attack anything, it's just the two of them standing on an airship looking menacingly, and the monsters all going back into the fucking burrows on the side. And then Jojo posing yeah. as they fly up. Yeah. But yeah, not too much happens in this episode, aside from them doing the descent. They go into uh, a cave, and they go start looking for food. Rico stumbles across the nest of a big creature, freaks out, and, uh... Reg comes, fires his annihilator cannon, his incinerator. He's like, okay, Rico, you have to be safe for the next two hours because I'm going to sleep. And Rico's like, okay, um, yeah, I'll, I'm going to stay here, won't move, I promise. The least interesting episode since Ozen. And then uh, Rico gets hungry. So uh, she starts to move and look for Can't food. Can't fucking wait two hours. Falls into the belly of a beast. Cuts her way out of its stomach. Because fucking of course she does, yep. Yep. And, uh, the Crimson Splitjaw's back, and it wants revenge now. Chases her. She gets away, has to climb a hill, experiences the ascending sickness of, uh, the third layer, and, uh, passes out, comes to, and Reg's awake and caring for her. She literally couldn't wait two hours to create yeah. a situation where both of them are fucking unconscious yeah, at no, the same time. She left to look for food and didn't find food. Yeah. Typical Rico. But the end of the, ep- the worst. The episode ends with them viewing into the fourth layer, the Goblet of Giants, which is another interesting area of the Abyss. And also home of, so far, the best arc, because it doesn't have Rico. Yeah, for the most part, it doesn't. <laughs> they very neatly and tightly wrote Rico out of the fucking story. And has another really good character instead. Yeah. In fact, if the story was just from this point on, Reg and, uh, was it? Nanachi. Nanachi. No, I think I would like the story a lot more. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So they go down. It's essentially comprised of a bunch of large plants in the shapes of bowls, and they're all filled with hot water. And it is, it's explained in the manga, apparently, that when those plants are growing, instead of hot water, they're filled with acid. So that's another danger that's a little glazed over in the anime. So uh, they stop for lunch. And Reg notices that they're being watched, and they only seem to move and follow them when they're talking so as to not get detected. So they start moving in through the center of the place, through all the steam of the hot water, to try to avoid detection. Because uh, the only other people that they assume would be down here would be other cave raiders, and they don't really want to run into anyone who could potentially kill them and steal Reg for fame and fortune. That's... But uh, they run into the hunting grounds of the worst monster that they've encountered yet. The Orbed Piercer. A big white porcupine thing with a red orbish nose mouth. And piercing abilities. And piercing abilities. Able to pierce steel and also very, very lethal poison. Although to be fair, we never got any indication in its time in the anime that it was able to pierce Reg. It can pierce steel. It. Yeah, but we don't know how strong Reg is. Than steel yeah. and less strong stuff than Ozen. That's yeah. all. We, or Ozen. That's all we know. <laughs> That's true. Did I say? I, did I say it could pierce Reg? No. Okay. We're just 
Making yeah. it very clear, it can pierce steel, it can maybe pierce it, right? We're not giving explicit evidence one way or another. It seemed like it was building up to it could pierce him, and we never got anything to indicate otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. But, um... So, that's there, and it seems to be able to anticipate every move they make when they try to make a run for it, which is very unsettling. And, uh... Reg recalls that Ozen told them picked away their weapons. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when they really realized, oh my god, it knows what we're doing. And then Rico's like, here, take the scaled umbrella and use it. It, I'll do it. You know what's going to be bigger than this? This fucking umbrella. Puts it out as the, as the orb piercer is lunging and realizes, this thing should be bigger. This thing should probably be bigger. And uh, it recoils away because its spines are now stuck in the umbrella. Yep. And uh, Rico calls for Reg. And Reg sees that there is a thorn. Or a spine right through her hand. Oh, thank God. So she is... This is when that poison comes into play. We don't have to deal with Rico anymore, please. She is dying now. Yes. She's got poison in her hand. And uh, Reg makes the only escape that is feasible to them. Abandon Rico. (laughs) Grabbing Rico and going up. Of course. Which causes Rico to experience even more pain than she was before. To be fair, it does kind of invertly save her, though. It does. Yep. Because bleeding out of every orifice also expelled the blood. Or the the blood that was poisoned. Yeah. The poison in the blood. Most of it, anyway. And, uh... Yeah, this part... I've watched through the series twice now, and... Even when I was watching this the other day, I still had to lie down when I was watching this <laughs> It's scene. an intense part, but I think I went at this differently, because when the whole thing started, like, okay, you need to take my hand off. Well, at first, I thought the whole thing was going to be, she's like, you need to cut it off. It's like, oh, she means the glove, of course. <laughs> and then it wasn't, it's like, my arm, it's like, okay, and then he starts doing the prep to cut off the arm. And the whole time, like, I, I think most people were like, oh, God, I can't look at this. I'm like, you're doing it wrong! <laughs> Because the whole thing is Reg doesn't really know what to do anyway, and Rico, through intense pain and bleeding, is trying to instruct him on how to cut her arm off, but she goes about it the way of, it's hard to cut through bone, so she gets Reg to break her arm to cut through the break, and Rico passes out from the pain of her arm getting broken. And then Reg's just no help at all cutting off the arm. Yeah. And then this is when Nanashi steps in. She's like, oh my god, you guys are being so loud. Also, when this is happening, I, I, my thought was like, you don't cut there. That's the worst spot to cut, especially yep. with breaking the bone. And then I, I would justify later why Nanashi's like, you should have cut the elbow. I was like, of fucking course you should have. Yeah. yeah. Nanashi explains, all right, we can still save her, but we've got to do things fast now. She's stopped breathing. You've got to give her CPR. Instructs Reg on giving her CPR and such. Now, brace her arm, because it's about to fall off at any minute now with all the hacking you've done, the gruesome hacking you've done. And, uh, so they brace it up, and Nanachi leads them back to where she's, or where Nanachi's staying. Never, it's never explained whether is a boy or a girl. I, I feel like it's pretty obvious. Even if, yeah, it seems that way, but the author goes out of the way to never use any specific gender pronouns, and it's never even mentioned in the manga if Nanachi is male or female. Fair enough. And since they're still young, it's hard to tell, anyway. That and the fact they're a rabbit. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, rabbits aren't known for having gender? Nope, that's not where I expected that sentence to go, and then that's where it ended up. Okay. I know for one thing for sure, they definitely don't have remarkably realistic penises. Yeah. So yes, Nanachi is a rabbit-like individual. Which is explained, well, they explain as they are a hollow, and then an episode cut to the next episode. And the next episode is essentially just uh, Nanachi treating Rico. It's like, okay, I'm going to have to cut, take out all these bone fragments from the bone you've broken, and I'm not great at uh, stitching nerves together, so... She's I'm gonna, not a doctor! So, uh, she's going to... Her arm will be fine, but she's not going to be able to use it like she used to be able to. I think in neither situation she was going to be able to use it <laughs> yeah. like she used to. Yeah. But, um, uh, she does explain that the reason Rico said to, uh, break it off below the elbow instead of cutting it off at the elbow is, I guess, because having at least a little bit more arm past the elbow allows her to do a little bit more cabrating wise Yep. So she didn't want to uh, limit herself. Or she wanted to have as much left of her as possible to help in Let, any way she could. Let's find a nice hook and attach to the end of the stub and you're good to go. Yeah. Even if she still had full use of the hand, it was still going to be Reg Re- Re- doing all of the work. Oh, Rico yeah. still wasn't going to do shit even if she had the full... So far, and as we found out by the end of this, the only thing that she really brings to the team is cooking. Yeah. So yeah, Nanachi's doing the healing or the the work on Rico, and gives Reg a list of things to go out and get while she's fixing Rico up. Now, just through the nature of this character, I immediately called that most of this was just lunch. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I need an egg, I need some fish, (laughs) I need some nice scented spicy grass. That's just seasoning <laughs> for lunch. Spicy grass. Whatever, whatever the grass was called. Glow. No, no, I just like the concept of spicy grass. <laughs> and a, uh, whatever the animal was called, but it was some sort of weird uh, muskrat thing with... It's like a shroom bear. Shroom bear. That's it. A, it's like the best new addition to the series so far. A little mammal thing with parasitic mushrooms that grow on its back. Yeah, it's pretty bear. much a Pokemon. Pretty much. Essentially parasect. Except the but bear. Shroom bear. Shroom bear. And the bear still has its own mind. But, um, yeah. Reg goes, gets a little annoyed at uh, Nanachi after finding out he was just doing shopping for lunch. And Nanachi's like, I'm doing fixing here. I'm doing the healing. What would you do if I fainted from hunger? He's like, oh, I suppose. I think it was fair. The best duo in this whole story. Yep. Yeah. And uh, just let Rico die. It'll be fine. Yeah, and... Uh, I don't know why I say that, like, we have any impact on the story as it develops. Yeah, it was, it's around this time, also, that we're uh, introduced to uh, Nanachi's, let's say, roommate. Mitty, or Mitty. I thought it was Mitty. 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 Yeah. Um, a blob of meat. With ears and claws. And yeah. eye eye. And eye. Delicious. Friendly. And I think they only say Mitty. This might be another Pokemon. It might actually be a Pokemon. Mm. Is so. the fifth level of the Abyss just the Pokemon universe? <laughs> That's the matchup I can get behind. Yeah. Fifth level? No. Sixth level? Maybe. But, um, uh... Yeah, so Nanachi explains that they're both hollows, and uh, Nanachi got off a little better off than, uh, Midi did. And, uh... 
the next episode, Nanachi relents to uh, Reg's questioning and pestering because uh, Nanachi had mentioned that where they were going, there was no real strain of the abyss there because they were going up to get to Nanachi's house. So Reg's like, you can see the abyss, you can avoid the curse of it. How? Let me know. And Nanachi explains the whole force field thing and how that works in trapping prey in, essentially. And Nanachi can see it because of what happened to them and why they're hollow now. But, uh, of course, no one else can, really. Yeah. And that's why Nanachi was so reluctant to give up the information, because it's their little secret, and they're essentially a trump card. Kind of. And, uh, Nanachi's like, so, you want to see it in action? Because, uh, that orb piercer, that red organ on in the front of its face, it can also detect the distortions of the abyss, and that's how it was predicting your movements. And so uh, she gives, or Nanachi gives a little earpiece to Reg and sends him off for a rematch against the Orb Piercer. Which is actually a really cool fight. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, they find the Orb Piercer from a whistle, a whistle being sounded out in the middle of the, out in the middle of the lair. And there's a black whistle being attacked by the Orb Piercer. And he sees this just little kid walk out of the steam. And he's like, wait, what? No, get back. There's a monster here. <laughs> Well, go find your daddy and take him to go. I'm blowing the whistle. <laughs> and so Nanachi commands Reg to uh, fully commit to the action of looking up as if he's like about to jump up or something. And so as the orb piercer is reading those distortions and moves to intercept accordingly, uh, Nanachi directs Reg to jump sideways and Reg grabs onto the orb piercer's sensory organ. Fighting ensues. He ties up the orb piercer and fires off his incineration cannon. But, uh... Hits the black whistle! <laughs> <laughs> it's Rico on the other side of the area. <laughs> if only. But no, um, the orb piercer sheds off a bunch of its spines so it can get away, and, uh, Reg's like, Hey, black whistle, can you send us a message? Can you send a message for me up to the top, to the surface? I was like, yeah, tell our friends at the orphanage that we're doing good, we're doing fine, we're continuing our adventure. And Black Whistle's just like, uh, okay. Because he's clearly flabbergasted about this little kid that just blasted an orb piercer. True. So Midi kind of, or, uh, Nanachi kind of freaks out overseeing the uh, incineration cannon and, uh, asks Reg to kill Midi. And then the following episode starts off with Nanachi dragging an unconscious Reg back home. Yet most of this now is just the wrap-up. Of what happens during uh, Rico's recuperation, Nanachi explains that Mitty, due to what happened to her and the nature of the curse, she can't die. Whenever she's injured or cut, she regenerates. Yeah, so we get the story of which I'm pretty sure is the next major villain story. Yeah, the White Whistle Bondrude, Bondrude the novel, and uh, he's essentially a mad scientist. Yeah, he's not a good person. He created an elevator, and everything from there was downhill, and the elevator <laughs> wasn't a good thing anyways. <laughs> yes. That pretty much sums it up, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Nanachi and Mitty were a couple of orphans who were pulled from uh, some country to the far north for a grand 
scientific experiment in the abyss. They were finally given a chance to go to the abyss that they were dreaming of for all of their short lives thus far. And so Bondrude and his team takes all the orphans deep down into the fifth layer of the abyss to do some experimenting of his own. And uh, one by one, the kids are taken away. And at one point, Nanachi's like, there's a lot fewer kids here than there were before. I wonder if the others are all right down in the abyss. And, uh... They're... They really, <laughs> really aren't! Yeah, so, uh... Sum it all up, Nanachi overhears Bondrude saying to one of his, uh... One of his teammates that, uh... He's not... Thinking of the kids as humans. <laughs> I don't like what you're doing to the children. What children? There's no children they're here. Just, just experiments. They're just yeah. science experiments. They're the path to knowledge. And Nanachi freaks out and Bondrud is like, Hey, come with me. It's time. And guides Nanachi to where Mitty is currently trapped in one side of a two-sided elevator. And Bondrud's like, Yeah, we're doing an experiment. We're forcing... Uh, all of the effects of the abyss into one of the chambers of this elevator to see if we can circumvent the curse on ascending here. Um, so far it hasn't worked, but uh, this time we're actually going to try putting two people in and see what happens. And so you get into the chamber beside your nice friend here. And <laughs> now, Mitty, you draw the short straw. <laughs> so, Mitty, the curse is going over to you, so uh, you're probably going to die. But, Mitty, you've got to hold on tight and make sure that you are conscious for... Most of it, so your friend Nanachi can survive. Because if you die too soon, you don't get to take Nanachi's portion of the curse, so you really need to stay so alive long enough to take Nanachi's portion of the curse as well. And this is where we find out what this whole series is really about, because she turns into a rabbit and it all clicked. It's an analogy for being a furry. <laughs> Token on elevator, you might become a furry. That no, is my the understanding. Whole, the whole abyss is just an analogy for being a furry. Yeah. As uh, Bondrude does refer to what uh, Nanachi gets as the blessing of the abyss. Yep. But, um... Uh, Definitely a good thing. Yeah, so they're dropped to the sixth layer, and then immediately brought back up. Um, Nanachi starts undergoing those transformations, turns into that rabbit monster. And uh, Mitty just melts. She mm -hmm. melts, begging to be killed, because the pain is so intense. Uh, it's a good thing she's not immortal or anything. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so Nanachi, after seeing all the terrible experimentation that Bondrude has been doing on Mitty, kind of sneaks away one night with Mitty on her back and heads off to uh, the fourth layer. Now, and I heard something that I was like, I don't know about uh, what happened, but essentially what ends up happening is Nanachi is like, hey, kill Mitty with your incinerator. It kills anything. And we do get confirmation later that it worked, because apparently the novel can track life forces. But the thing is, we know that they beat the shit out of her and, like, d like dismantled her, and she just kind of grew back. Yeah. How, like, there was no guarantee that incinerating her was going to do it, and they just was like, she's dead, and she could have just grown back over the next couple of weeks yeah. from what was left. She... The chance was slight, but Nanachi was next to... Absolutely positive well, that it would work. The confirmation they went off was some weird psychic link dream that we uh, got. No, the confirmation went off the fact that uh, Bondrude used another artifact, a relic from the Abyss called Sparagmos, that is very similar to the Incinerator, and he used it to crush one of, of Mitty's eyes, which is the eye that's missing, and that's the one thing that never regenerated. So, uh, 
that's what Nanachi's going off saying that Reg's incinerator can finally kill Nanachi. Or kill I'm just thinking Minnie. this is inconclusive evidence. It worked out. I'll give him that. Fair enough. <laughs> but the basis of this spike is similar to your laser. Wait, what? It's, yeah, it's a little bit of a leap to take. I'll give you that. A little bit of a leap, and me too. I, I too was thinking, yeah, but what if it doesn't work? Yeah, what if they what leave if and then Mitty comes back, and then that whole problem of, I don't want me to be gone and Mitty's still here, what just happened? <laughs> yeah. Also... It's almost like that, that Bondra thing that they put in afterwards. It was like, you the audience, don't worry, she did die. <laughs> it's also <laughs> one of those things where it's just like, the whole reason for doing this is Minnie's in incredible pain. If it doesn't work, you're just putting her in even greater pain in this moment. Yeah. But also, uh, when we get that little bit of Bondrude at the end saying, congratulations, you've finally done it, it's less the fact that uh, Nanachi finally found a way to kill Mitty. It's more the fact that Nanachi's finally able to move on away from that and is presumably going to find their way back to Bondrude. Because what a fuck! Yeah. Well, well, she wants to kill herself, and then <laughs> yeah, Regsley. He's like, ah, like, because there's that little game. Was like, you gotta promise me that you won't kill yourself after this does. Don't worry, I still gotta take care of Rico. You can't even kill yourself after that. Fine. Yeah, because Nanachi's <laughs> one purpose in life was to find a way to end Midi's suffering. But like that, like she clearly was using the loophole of "Don't worry, I'm gonna yeah. still help Rico." Yeah. yeah. Uh but yeah, that happens, and uh, Rico wakes back up. Rico makes them a ha- uh, tasty meal, because Nanachi has never eaten anything tasty before. So that brought tears to Nanachi's eyes. Nanachi agrees to come with them on their journey into the abyss, and they prepare to make their voyage deeper down into the fifth layer. And that's where the season that we have ends. Yep. Alright, I'm sorry, I'm on the wiki right now, uh, and I'm on Bondred's page, because there was something I read earlier that I wanted to confirm, but mm-hmm. I got to the trivia about Bondred at the bottom, and one of the trivia notes is, after everything we've just discussed, Bondred genuinely loves children. He does. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> he actually so, does. Yeah, it's just so upsetting. After If only he had children there at that lab. This never would have happened. Unfortunately, it was experiments, not children. <laughs> I will say that in the, uh, the movie that follows this, we find out that Bondrude does have a daughter that he adopted from the Abyss and is raising as a loving father. Yeah, and that daughter definitely survives and lives happily and doesn't sacrifice themselves to make a white whistle for someone else because those are made from souls. Spoilers, Ke- or spoilers Peter. What do you I assume was me? I, I was also about to say that she's a key point to the future. Yeah. I was going to say, hopefully it never mixes up the file that says that she's daughter and not experiment. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's, it definitely doesn't happen. It's a blurry line for him. So. He also has bad vision to the abyss. Yeah, he, he literally just didn't see children because his eyes were that bad. <laughs> these are all experiments, right? Talking sheep? <laughs> wow, these mice are much larger than I expected and also can talk and cry. <laughs> I don't know why I got them from an orphanage, but whatever. Well, that's where we found Stuart Little. Clearly, that's where you find mice. <laughs> Fuck. Anything else to say about this show, Matt? Uh, no, I think that sums up what I wanted to say for... Uh... For this episode, because, uh, 
Do you have I a question think... prepared for us? I do have a question prepared. Is it what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> no. Although some of you might be asking that. Um, I just want to propose a kind of hypothetical question. Hypothetically, if the abyss did happen to exist, or some sort of similar kind of abyss in our real world, would you be so adventurous as fuck to no. want to <laughs> go down into it? I'm going to get ahead of you. Fuck no. Really? Because I would. Alright, if I was going to go into the abyss, I would speed run to the sixth level and then run back up and just... That would be... <laughs> but why would you do that when you get to the seventh level and guarantee it? You'd fail at 50%. Yeah, I'm willing to try, try it. <laughs> I'm going to say that's a lot of effort to go for a maybe. The trick is, I get into an elevator and hope, and then if it doesn't work out, then I just go back down and get in the elevator again, and I can cart so many people back up from the bottom. <laughs> Eventually it'll work. No, the problem is they have to love you. They have to love you. Is that a rule? Is that a specific rule? It's a specific rule. Oh, okay. I thought it was, you have oh, to love wait. the other person. Oh, what, what if Liza's is down there's like, fuck, I can't get out. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's... I believe it's not that you have to love the person who's taking the sacrifice, it's the person who's taking the sacrifice has yeah. to love them. I'll just tell them I yeah. love them, and then we'll just no. fucking rock it up together. <laughs> the person who takes the curse into themselves has to uh, be doing it genuinely for the benefit of the person that they're saving. Yeah, I, it, it can be both things. I can be doing it to benefit another person while also fucking myself over. Barn, you ruined my plan. I'll go to floor seven and then come back. There we go. <laughs> there. I mean, the top layer seems fine. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to go down to the inverted forest. Seems like an absolutely fantastic place. Uh, as already discussed, I don't want the blood out of my penis, so. Yeah, no, no, no. Definitely not that. I am not going down Well, there. that depends. In this situation, is my penis remarkably realistic? Well, maybe. Because, uh, Are you a robot? Because Hablog does give Rico... A little bit of medicine for helping with the... I don't like that you're talking about an adult giving a child <laughs> medicine after I asked about penises, man. Gives Rico medicine for the strain of the abyss for the top, for like the first two layers to help uh, mitigate the effect. So maybe they have some more potent stuff for down lower? Who knows? Okay. Finally, a drug that can keep the blood inside of my penis. <laughs> I don't care about anywhere else in my body, but as long as the blood stays inside my penis, that's my main goal. <sighs> <laughs> Fuck. Uh, recommendations? Yeah, let's move on to recommendations. Peter, you go first. I'd love to. Now, while this one isn't super closely related to Made in the Abyss, it is my understanding that 100% of people who enjoy Made in the Abyss also enjoy this, so I'm going to personally recommend Warframe. <laughs> Uh, as a thing that people should try out. It's a delightful little game where you play as robot samurais in space and fight... Ninjas. Ninjas. Robot ninjas. You fight samurai? Yeah, cool. There we go. That's my recommendation. Matt, what do you recommend? <laughs> I recommend the 2008 film with Brendan Fraser, Journey to the Center of the Earth. It's... <laughs> Does blood come over his penis in that movie? It's been a while. No. It's an enjoyable movie to say the least i guess it it is an enjoyable watch also a product of the time because it's one of the more it's one of the first like imax 3d experience or one of the th first 3d experience movies ever yep. made so it has a couple cliche kind of 
odd things that were just shoehorned in for the 3D experience. But aside from that, it's relatively interesting of descending into essentially a, con- a contained biome in the center of the Earth. Uh, so what I'm going to recommend is actually a little game called Spelunky. Yeah. It's pretty much the it's same thing. It's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. I can accept that. Except in Spelunky, there is no up. Exactly. There is never There's also up. no up technically in this. Not once you go past the sixth layer. There are conditional ups in this. There's conditional There's... ups. I'm just saying, without that compass, how do we know even know which way's up? Oh, fair enough. For all we know, everything has been up since they got to the inverted forest, and it's just a U-shaped fucking thing. I said, there's another hole on the opposite side, and they're just going straight through. Yeah. But yeah. If uh, you guys don't have... Do you guys have anything else to God, say? God, no. Alright. And no one has surprisingly guessed this yet. Well, fair enough. And I uh, assume no comments or anything. No, no, no comments or messages. Alright. No emails. That said, if you have a suggestion on a topic that we could talk about in a future episode or on how we could improve in general, uh, feel free to shoot us an email at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. Don't forget the offer to torture Peter by making him watch the rest of My Little Pony still on the table. No, do in fact forget that, please. And, uh... Yeah, so uh, you can find us on all available podcast streaming services. Mm. We're also on Instagram, where we post a picture uh, every time we record of some clue of what our topic's going to be. If you want to guess what we're going to be talking about, you can also find us on YouTube, where if you do listen to us there, leave a like, comment if you so wish. And uh, we'll be back in another two weeks to discuss something. Yep, just make sure to check in in two weeks when we just cover the topic of what happens when you don't have vision. Yeah, the problems that can arise from a distinct lack of vision. Or a seeking of vision. Yeah. But I don't want to.